Since they have been introduced, COVID-19 vaccines have been seen as the ticket out of the pandemic. But as the Delta variant takes hold in Canada and second dose uptake slows, debate has grown around whether we should introduce vaccine passports as has been done elsewhere. I'm Dave Breckenridge and this is 10-3. Tasha Carradin, a columnist at the National Post and principal at Navigator Limited, joins me to discuss how vaccine passports work, whether it's a good incentive to increase vaccination, and why there is pushback among some premiers. Don't forget you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, we're even on Amazon Music now. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Tasha, as Canada has reopened, as more people have gotten vaccinated, there's been a lot of talk about the idea of vaccine passports. But has that ramped up from last year? Was this something that was talked about even once vaccines were introduced way back in December 2020? Casting my mind back, um, I'll be frank with you, I don't recall how much conversation there was or not. I think it's one of those issues that's it's popped up, certainly before now. It's popped up in the last few months, I think, the more people have been vaccinated. But it's, I think, been on the radar increasingly because people aren't taking up vaccines. If percentage of vaccination, of double vaccination, if it was higher, then we wouldn't be talking about this as much as we are now. But that's why it's hitting this sort of inflection point. People are now saying, okay, if there's going to be people who don't take the vaccine at all, we've got to have this conversation because we see the Delta variant. It's spreading like wildfire in the U.S. in particular. It's, it's here already. What do we do? Are there jurisdictions in Canada that are looking at these passports and jurisdictions in other countries that have already brought them in? What's the playing field when it comes to this idea? Yes, uh, Quebec is planning to introduce them. They are going to be ramping them up. I believe that the goal is for the fall, for when sort of back to school time. And there are definitely jurisdictions around the world. Europe has issued a vaccine passport for travel between European countries. So you don't need to be tested when you go from country to country. France and uh, Italy have issued what they call health passes in France and a green pass in Italy. And they are specifically to access certain things like cafes, restaurants, theaters, uh, transport, like trains. And they've done this within their own country as well, that that's what you need to do. So it is becoming a thing. It's being talked about in the UK. There was a plan to do it. Now it seems that maybe being walked back was a lot of pushback. So it's not uniform, but definitely some people are are trying this. And uh, it seems to be increasing vaccine uptake. That's for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask, is this something that we're seeing where there's kind of like a sluggish pace of vaccine uptake? Does it do better than other measures like lotteries, say, at, at getting people to get a shot? <laughs> yeah, apparently lotteries didn't work. They were doing it in the States and rates actually of vaccination went down. Things like college scholarships and, and money and things like that it didn't didn't help. This has helped in France, for example, 4 million people got their first shot within two weeks of the dictate, 6 million more made an appointment after that. That was a huge increase. Italy has seen rates increase depending on the area between 15 and 200%. So it certainly is making a difference. It's unfortunate that this is the way to motivate people, but <laughs> it's you know more of a stick than a carrot. But still, uh, it definitely, definitely changes people's uh, uptake of the vaccine. When I was thinking about your column and after reading your column and just the issue in general, I, I remember when mask mandates were put in place and you'd have people who didn't want to wear a mask essentially take out all their frustration on some poor cashier or retail worker 
who had to enforce this idea. Doesn't the idea of a passport, again, put enforcement in the hands of people who aren't well-paid or qualified to deal with people who want to test the system? No, and I'll tell you why. What right now is happening is exactly that with regards to vaccines for businesses. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of that here in Ontario from businesses who feel that they're stuck. It was even a website where you could advertise businesses or it listed businesses that were requiring vaccines, places like gyms or restaurants and whatnot. They got so much hate, they had to shut down. Mm-hmm. To your point, there's a lot of hate. Uh, not everyone's going to go and yell in someone's face. I think they're more like to do it on social media, which is why this website shut down. But the point is businesses feel really stuck because some of them would like to have this. Some of their clientele is clamoring for it. But if they do it, they get pushback from groups and other people who may not even be using their business, but just use it as a lightning rod. So if there is a rule in place, the business can say, look, you want to take this up, go to Queens Park, go to the politicians, complain to them, not to us. But this way, it's passing the buck. And that's why I think a lot of businesses are frustrated because the last thing we want is another shutdown. But there are businesses where you could see outbreaks like gyms, like theaters, super spreader events, concerts. And then, of course, when that happens, that's when people then freak out. Politicians go, oh, we got a lockdown. It's, mm-hmm. you know, why don't we just avoid these situations? How does it work? Is it based on, do people have to go get a separate card? Is it based on your vaccine record, which for me was just a piece of paper and I couldn't tell you where it is in my house at the moment? Or or is it an app? Like, how does this work in practice? It can be a QR code on your phone. It could be a piece of paper. It really varies. That is something that's, I know, in Quebec's being worked out. But it's basically, yeah, it can take various forms. One of the challenges, of course, is forgery. And we've seen that for crossing the border. A couple of people were recently fined because they forged their vaccination status. I'm not sure if they did it electronically or on paper, but that's something that has to be guarded against. But yeah, I mean, look, we have ID for all sorts. We have driver's licenses, right? Mm-hmm. You have a health card. This is not rocket science. <laughs> and so, you know, people who are scared that, oh my God, we're going to be tracked by the government. Well, the government knows a lot about you, but like I point out, we voluntarily give up so much of our data every day for stupid things, like to watch videos on TikTok, right? So for people who are complaining about this, it's like Big Brother, it's like, no, you know, get off social media, then maybe we'll talk. But I really resent that. It's an argument Premier Kenny's trotted out, oh, privacy. Well, really? Right now, my privacy, I can't, I can't do the things I want to do and that, you know, businesses need me to do to get the economy going because of this fake fear that's being promulgated by our politicians, which frankly, I think is just political. Overall, the idea that we can get an increase in vaccinations by saying, well, you can't go do certain things if you don't have a passport. That seems to be the main argument in favor of some sort of passport. Are there other arguments people are floating or does that kind of cover it off? The main argument is that it's also because the vaccine hesitant population. I mean, some people are diehard. I don't want a vaccine. I don't want it in my body. I don't believe in it. All right. You're not going to convince people like that by this method or others, probably. And that percentage is not necessarily the one that's being targeted. It's people who are younger people in particular who think, I got one shot. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, I don't have time. Oh, I put it off. That is the group in particular that was found that is less apt to get their shots because they feel a bit more, you know, invulnerable. Whereas now we know the Delta variant is hitting younger populations. So this is a psychology behind it. It's a lot of people who may be not resistant, but hesitant or just lax. And they'll be upset because their friends are saying, hey, let's get together. Let's go to this event. And, oh, you don't, you're not vaccinated? Well, sorry, you're left out. Okay, <laughs> I'll get my vaccine. On the flip side, is it just a freedom argument or are there other criticisms that have come up that you've seen take hold in people? 
you know, the one we discussed earlier, the privacy issue, Scott Moe, I think of Saskatchewan as well, advanced that one. The freedom issue is the big one the average person will bring out and say, don't tell me what to do. Well, we're not telling you what to do. We're telling you what you can't do. And I guess that's an inverse way maybe of doing it. But the point is, your insistence on this freedom that you have not to get a shot means I am not free to do what I want to do safely. And my kid's not free. Teachers, healthcare workers, all sorts of people are being put at risk by your freedom. So we've got to make a bad government's always about balance. Mm -hmm. This is what people forget. Nothing is absolute. This is a pandemic. And right now, you know, I don't know if you are not sick of being able to do things for 18 months. I certainly am. Yeah. And I resent that, that argument. I, some people are immunocompromised. They can't do fine, make exceptions. But for the person who's just saying it's my freedom and that's the reason, no, thank you. I mean, some people use the science too. They say, well, it's not been tested enough, whatnot. There are side effects. You can't argue with the side effects. There are some side effects. There are every vaccine. But you know what? If you had that attitude, we'd still have smallpox and polio, measles, no thanks. At some point, we have to make that decision as a society that, okay, we want to get out of this and get on with our lives. And that's what this is giving us a chance to do. Bottom line for you and the reason that you think that we need them is essentially if we want to reopen the economy and we want to get back to doing the things that we all want to do, it doesn't make sense not to have this in place because it will tell people who aren't vaccinated, you're the problem. <laughs> and if you want things to go back to normal, you need to go get vaccinated. Basically, and you know, people have the right not to be. I get it. Mm -hmm. The thing is, though, what they say is that they're not hurting anyone. They are because they are a reservoir for the virus to replicate and mutate. And that's what we're seeing. And we're seeing this virus is mutating more than others that we've seen historically. It is mutating in ways that make it more contagious. Why is it doing that? Because it has a host population. So if you think that just, well, I'm just hurting myself, I could get sick and it makes no big deal. Well, no, two things. One, you're going to maybe end up in an ICU bed that someone you know needs for something else, which is pretty selfish of you. And second of all, you're giving this the chance to get worse and then overwhelm the vaccines themselves. That's the biggest danger. So it's really a twofold. It's, you know, yes, your freedom is important, but do you care about your neighbor's freedom? Do you care about your kid, your neighbor's kid, like everyone around you? There's a selfishness element to it that people don't want to discuss, but it is there. It is something we're doing for everybody. And the sooner we all do it, the sooner we can get back to what we consider normal life. Now, in Canada, you've seen premiers and they all seem to kind of skew along a political bent, come out and say, we don't want this, we don't need it. Or even if they think it's a good idea, they kind of have shied away from it. Why is it that some conservative premiers in Canada are opposed to this idea? Well, there's a subset of their base that is vaccine resistant slash hesitant. And if you look at the polling, it's very clear that people who are on the left, leftist center, 89% of people believe a second shot is essential to end the pandemic. Only 70% of right of center voters feel the same way. What's more surprising is 17% of those of right of center voters say it's a bad idea to get a second shot, which tells you that's a lot of vaccine resistance right there. Mm -hmm. And then when you overlay that, with people who support the passports, you can clearly see 51% of unvaccinated Canadians support them, 80% of vaccinated. So if you overlay those two, you'll see that a significant portion of people who don't believe in vaccination and aren't vaccinated don't want the passports. So what does that tell you? A politician looks at this and goes, okay, that's my base, conservatives. We're not going to go there. It's not all conservatives, obviously. I mean, I got a shot, but, um, you know, two, but it is enough to spook politicians. We know in Ontario, for example, 
that decisions at cabinet were mulled over, hemmed and hawed, because there's a split in the sort of rural urban caucus in rural Ontario. There's a lot more opposition to this. I, I know this from personal experience. People I know up here where I have a cottage in Ontario who aren't vaccinated and who don't want it. And they're perfectly great people. It's just this on this issue that they would vote against potentially Doug Ford. So he doesn't want to risk that, mm-hmm. which to me is is not leadership. You've yeah. got to at some point put your foot down. Could that be opening the country up potentially to a national vaccine passport? Or do the feds not have the authority in this case, just the way that healthcare is managed by provinces? Yeah, it's not clear. I mean, we are a federation. So I think if a national passport were brought in, it would only apply to places of federal jurisdiction. So you could have one, for example, for travel in and out of the country. That's something that we see. Mm-hmm. You could have one for potentially access to federal services. So if there's a federal service you want and you don't have a vaccination, you can't go into the office to get it, certain licenses and things. But your day-to-day, yeah, provision of healthcare education, the big things, commerce and business, those are provincial. So it's not going to be able to get down to that granular level. Overall, why do you suppose it's better to have a society-wide solution than some businesses or organizations developing their own rules? Is it just because it creates an uneven playing field and puts the onus on people who shouldn't have to deal with it? Or is it looking at it more broadly, just the right thing for a government to do to help these businesses reopen? It's both. You know, government is there for everyone and it needs to be there for businesses too. It needs to be saying, look, we're going to help you manage this. We're not going to pass the buck because it is a big passing of the buck. And what it does is it can create a patchwork, but it worse can expose businesses also to this kind of online abuse that that website got, make them scared to do the right thing and say, you know, in my gym where I don't have the adequate ventilation, if you're not vaccinated, you can't come in here because you're a risk. What's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. This is a public health issue. It's not forever, right? The whole point of vaccination is that, you know, a year from now, we're not having this conversation. (laughs) Six months from now, we're not. I mean, hopefully we never have this conversation again. Yeah. But that's the decision. and, and, And there has to be some leadership on this. And we're not seeing it. Despite the fact that we're talking about a provincial jurisdiction, do you get a sense that this could carry over as an issue in the federal election that we're all kind of expect to see called very soon? Oh, I do. I do. And I think that the conservatives, again, will be on the short end of the stick here. We already know that the way that the pandemic's been managed in Alberta and Ontario is going to be an issue for Aaron O'Toole. It's going to be played up by the liberals in subtle reference, right? Just that if conservatives had been in charge, it would have been like this. It would have been like that. It would have been higher rates, whatever. And it could be twisted a million ways. But you're giving that to the liberals, the NDP, anyone who's not a conservative. So Aaron O'Toole's going to be running against... Ford and Kenny, ironically, not just Justin Trudeau and Jagmeet Singh, and who knows for the Green Party what the heck's happening there. It changes every day. Um, but enemy Paul for now, like, you know, it puts him at a disadvantage. And I think that's with the short sightedness here. It's like stabbing each other in the back on this issue is, is really, I, I don't know if the conservatives quite get what the damage that they could be potentially doing. Tasha, always a pleasure. Thanks for your time. Thank you. 10 3 is produced by Sean Knox, theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Tasha Carradine. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.